Say hello to the bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. All right, welcome to Say Hello to the Bad Guy. I'm your host, Locke, and this is the podcast where we drink, smoke, and bullshit about the life of a historic criminal. Now we're talking outlaws and gangsters. We're not going to cover too many serial killers. That's just a little bit dark for me, and this ain't no true crime podcast. But honestly, you can't call this a history podcast because I'm no historian. I'm just a history fan that does some research and bullshits about it with his friends. So speaking of my friends, let me introduce you to my co-host. And our first guest today, I'm real excited to introduce the host of one of my favorite new podcasts, Drinks with Great Minds in History. We got Zach Tobacco. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, Locke. No problem. With us as usual, we got the Duke, Dan the Man. Oh, yeah. I'm uh, excited. This is my first uh, remote one. It's a little different. You might hate it by the end of it. <laughs> Well, uh, so the listeners, this is uh, this will only be our second remote episode, so hopefully the sound quality holds up. If it doesn't, it seems a little off. Just bear with it. It's a learning process. I think most people are kind of sensitive to the current environment, so people are kind of used to it. Yeah. Now, Later uh, on the Rona, if we have to. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want to tell us about your podcast a little bit real quick? For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I host a, uh, a drinking meets history podcast where I basically just... Uh, talk about different great minds in history. It's called Drinks with Great Minds in History. You can look it up, DGMH. You know, uh, talk about anybody from George Washington to Thomas Jefferson to Catherine the Great of Russia. And we just did, uh, I just did Louis XIV, uh, which was a blast for me. He's one of my favorites. Chase every episode with a little historical tidbit. But what, you know, for me, what really makes my show a little different from others is uh, it's got a lot of different components to it. Uh, So over a month, we cover a great and, um, you know, we just did Louie and uh, next Friday, this coming Friday, uh, will be the Twist of Psych, where, and I know, Locke, that's your favorite of the episodes I do, where we look into the psychology behind the historical figures. You've told me that before. Uh, and then we close out the month with a, uh, a battle royale, in a way, uh, between two people I've covered on the show. And basically, it's just a bunch of drinking, bullshitting, and I, I swear a lot, but who gives a <laughs> shit, you know? So it's a lot of fun for me, though. That's honestly what I like about the podcast. Uh, you know, I'm a big history buff and, you know, I'll listen to all kinds of podcasts, but sometimes you don't need an NPR type lecture, you know, it's just somebody kind of dr- droning mm-hmm. on monotone. And on ours, we always start off by saying yeah. we're not historians. Y- you, uh, you are a history professor. You're a history teacher. Like you really know. History teacher, stuff. professor. Yep. I teach, yeah, I teach history and stuff. I've been teaching for like six years now. So it's, it's what it is, you know, but uh, I make my mistakes too and everything, but uh, yeah, the information, I, I like to give the information I might give in a lecture, but I try to do it in a, a light away as humanly possible because his, that's why people hate history because somebody made it miserable for them. When I went to school, I went as a history major and I always said, it, it only takes one good history teacher to make you fall in love with history because you get a lot of people that just ramble on about just, they're just repeating dates and names and it gets old real quick. You just need one teacher that puts it in perspective and all of a sudden, once it clicks, you're like, oh, this is amazing. Like this all really happened. Right. It's so, it's like a novel sometimes. Like sometimes I'll tell a story to the, to my, my students or my friends. And I'm like, it, it, I'm telling it, it just comes off. Like I'm reading from an episode of Game of Thrones or something. In fact, Game of Thrones is basically historical events just unfolding yeah. in a near pornographic <laughs> incestuous TV show, uh, which is basically history. <laughs> you know? sure, sure. Yeah. All right. So Dan, would you bring a drink today? Well, first, I went and I got me some uh, Maker's Mark, good old classic, good old bourbon, and then uh, 
for the little extra, I got me some uh, Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale. So it's some uh, beer from Lexington, and it's aged in old bourbon uh, barrels. So it's got a little extra bourbon aftertaste to it. You're doubling up on the bourbon today. Yeah, pretty much. That is one of my favorite beers, uh, Kentucky Bourbon Barrel. Uh, it's so good. If you, if you ever get a chance to have it on draft, holy shit, it's good. Wow, well, I'm glad so I picked that. That's like 9%, right? <laughs> Let me see what 8.2. He's got that and, and some bourbon. Uh, he's not a huge drinker like that. He, uh, we might lose him halfway through. Now, Zach, usually on your show, you usually do theme drinks. This is a light night for you, so you could just pick whatever you want. So, uh... Yeah, and a lot of times when I'm recording my episodes with other people, I normally drink a light beer. One time I opened a bottle of wine for an episode of Shots, and I, oof, I couldn't function <laughs> by the end. So I'm doing uh, Corona I, Premiere. I, for the record, I thought that was one of the better episodes. I dug it. I, oh, my God. I love it. The, the one I opened the wine, oh, my God. And then Sherry showed up at the end of the episode we just all bullshit afterwards i was dead the next day but i'm drinking corona premiere tonight which uh you know i'm not a big light beer fan you won't see me uh drinking mick ultra or anything like that too often uh but i will say i like corona and 2.6 carbs and it tastes like corona so, so i'll take it but i also because uh me i had to bring a little whiskey with me too a little bourbon whiskey <laughs> just just in case and so uh, better safe than sorry well, yeah, this is, I, I rated this on my show, Black Eagle Whiskey. It's, it's good shit. It's only like, uh, I think it's like 13 bucks, you know? So like, I love when you can find something cheap that's actually good. Before we get started, oh yeah, and I got, uh, it was a nice day. I had to do some yard work, so I want my go-to, Bell's Too Hearted. Now, Zach, you're in Florida. I don't know, do yeah. you guys, are you familiar with Bell's down there? It's a Michigan brew? That's an IPA, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I've had that before, but I'm from Pittsburgh. You know, like, that's why I can talk Great Lakes any day, you know, or stuff gotcha. like that. So I know that. I do know that. Where's that out of? Is that out of Michigan? Yeah, it's out of Michigan. Okay. Okay, cool. It's yeah, a, I have had that before. Bell's are you doing the full two-hearted or the half-hearted? Full two-hearted. You gave up on the teeny body? No, I'm still working on it. You know, I'm just, I'm just, sometimes you got to spoil yourself. Absolutely. And, and I figured I, I mowed the lawn today, so that's not quite working out, but it's something. So I, it is. I mowed the I mowed the lawn in ninety-seven degree heat, so I, I I'm counting it as my workout today. Before we get started, got to make sure we always thank Sixfo Swaino for letting us use his music in the intro, and then frequent show guest Cancer. He does our song in the mid roll, Blood, and you can follow him on Instagram at Eyes Bleed Defiance. Sixfo Swaino, Cancer, you can. Go through the straight to the website, badguypodcast.com, and you can click all the links through there if you're not able to find them. To help out all the show contributors, you know, support local musicians. All right, well, we'll go ahead and get started. And the bad guy we're covering today is Francesco Yole. This ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface, final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend. Oh, Francisco. So fun to say. Yole. What is, what is it? I guess you're going to tell me what that is. Yole, I don't know. Well, Yole, I had to hear the audible uh, version of it because I had no idea on reading it how to pronounce it. So here we go. Do you guys got that? Oh, oh. that's how you spell that. Yole. Like, um, oh. Well, yeah, that's definitely one you want to look up. Francesco, Francesco Yole, I-O-E-L-E. His AKAs are just other ways to spell his name. It's not even an AKA. It's still just his name. So it's not important to the story. His first AKA was Frankie Wale, 
which was just kind of a, it was a transition based on how Americans would try to pronounce his name improperly. And then eventually just settled on Frankie Yale. You, you get this a lot with uh, Italians and Sicilians in the early 1900s. They would come up with just something. And if they didn't, Ellis Island would come up with something. Yeah. Yeah. Paulo, uh, my grandfather, Paulo Di Bacco. Uh, yeah, Paul, you know, just Paul, they just, they just yeah. cut it off, you know, <laughs> they make it as lost <laughs> as it can be. So Frankie Yale was born January 22nd, 1893 in Italy. He was the second of four siblings and his family immigrated to America in 1900 and settled in Brooklyn, New York. Oh, just in time for the party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the shit show. <laughs> as a teenager, he joined the Five Points Gang. Now the Five Point Gang was based out of lower Manhattan. It's the area that's now Chinatown. Five Point Gang started in, 19, in 1890. It survived till around 1920. So it's kind of considered the bridge between the early Five Point Street gangs, like the Dead Rabbits and Bowery Boys, and, you know, the gangs in New York type stuff. And then the Morello family, which is like the modern crime families as we know. So it's when crime started getting semi-organized. Right. Uh, one of their big things, the guy that started them was a dude named Paul Kelly. He was a big contributor at Tammany Hall. So mm. he's started a lot with the political connections in the crime. Was so he you're talking was... my favorite shit now. I love Tammany Hall. So yeah, I got you. Those, those were like organized crime before organized crime was about booze. <laughs> right. You'd send in guys like the Five Points Gang and they would go round up everybody from their neighborhood and they'd make them go vote, you know, yep. Democrat or whatever you want. Then they would take the guys out, get them a haircut, have them vote again, go get them shaved up, have them vote again. People were trying to vote for the other guy. They beat them up. So that was what the Five Points Gang did, basically. Well, I mean, that was what they brought to the table. See, that's cool. I that, like, gangs took care of that. I knew that happened, but I didn't know that, like, they had, like, literally, like, gangsters bringing these people. I know that Irish and Italian immigrants were, like, the big voters for these political machines. And Boss Tweed, you know, he was crazy. But See, it's so crazy that, like, way back then when the mob first, they first got introduced to Tammany Hall and, like, all this sort of shit now, and then going all the way up to the Kennedys till Rico, and they finally busted them. Like, the mob and the U.S. government, they were always bedfellows. Like, the mob always had, every, like you said, people think uh, mob, they think of the prohibition, so they think of all the boozing and everything. But other than that, like, they were heavily into politics since yeah. the very beginning. I think now since the sort of allure of the mob has gone away, people forget that that's what they were. They were almost like just street politicians more yeah. than they were criminals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they got more glamorized in like prohibition and stuff. That, that might be why people just kind of ignore the beginning part. I don't know. Like, I well, know... I mean, that's when it got flashy. That's when, yeah. you know, all the big name people, Capone, Luciano. So that's the uh, romanticized era, I guess. I know at one point in World War II, the government brought in the mob to uh, help protect the docks. Yep, uh, yep. The, the mob protected the docks as like a like a home home homegrown militia in a way, just in case. Besides Frankie Yale, the Five Points Gang was a breeding ground for underworld figures like Johnny Spanish, Lucky Luciano, Al Capone, Meyer Lansky, Bugsy Siegel, and the overall second in command Johnny Torrio. Five points was ground zero for all mob shit. It's like the uh, what's that shit? Like I'm not a, I'm not a sports guy. I'm not very good at that. But like, but they put you through the minor leagues. Yeah, like the triple A. <laughs> yeah, it's it's right before you go to the show. So Johnny Torrio and Frankie Yale were close. Johnny Torrio took him under his wing and taught him the ins and outs of criminal life before he left for Chicago in 1909. Even though he went to Chicago, he always stayed close with his connections in New York. Damn, John Torrio had a good uh, eye for talent. 
he had a lot of good apprentices under his wing. Like he had some good guys in New York, then he went to Chicago, and we all know he was sort of Al Capone's uh, tour or whatever. So like he had a, going back to your uh, minor league analogy, this yeah. old John Torrio was a good scout. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, hell of a protege, Al Capone. Holy shit. So even though Frankie O wasn't that big, he was considered chubby, but he was a feared fist fighter. At 17 years old, one of his first arrests, him and his buddy uh, beat two guys into a coma in a pool hall fight. And at another point, he got in a disagreement with his younger brother, Angelo, which escalated to a fist fight where Angelo ended up getting hospitalized. He also one time beat up two guys for trying to extort a local hat operator. But yeah, for, for a little fat guy, he liked to fight, apparently. Good. Yeah, I guess he beat so many people up, he made history clarify that he wasn't fat, just chubby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, when you have historians, like, no, don't call him fat. This guy beats people up for shit. He's big fucking bone, okay? He's not... <laughs> <laughs> One of his first arrests in 1912 was for involvement in a murder that he was never in charge with. But despite his inclination and proficiency with violence, uh, he had a bunch of tutoring under Johnny Torrio, and he eventually realized that he needed to focus crime and uh, treat it more like a business. His first major business was he moved in on the Brooklyn ice delivery business. A big city at that time, we don't have HVAC like we do now, heating and cooling, so everybody had ice boxes. A lot of these businesses that, like old-timey businesses that we don't think of no more, like cleaners and dyers and the ice business, it was like such a big deal in 19... 19- the teens you know what i mean yeah 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 for sure yeah there's so many jobs of just back in the day that just do not exist anymore and people just don't even think of them like that we're like a milkman even that's crazy and that's not even as far back as icebox no like down here a quick shout out to a local restaurant it's called the ice house we actually go there all the time and it's a, it's an old ice house now it's an english style pub it's pretty cool to go in and see, and it's like sealed tight, concrete. You know, it's it's crazy. It's like yeah, just, the 1920s, I think. Yeah. Yeah, just around the uh, block from me is a ice factory. Well, it used to be it's been shut down, but even when I was little, it's still in operation. You can go walk up there and grab you some ice and shit. I'm surprised they made made business all the way that far. Like as in the 90s, they were still just making ice. Plus, Michigan's fucking cold. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all he does, he just stores it like from December and just locks it up all summer. Like, I remember in Pittsburgh, we would just you get a you get a 12, 24 pack of Keystone Light, you'd throw it out on the porch in the middle of winter and it'd be ice cold, but it was time to get the beer. Yeah, there's definitely a few months out the year people in Michigan don't bring their beer indoors, it never makes its way to the fridge. That doesn't happen in Florida. So a lot of money Frankie Yale makes off his ice delivery business. He opened a bar slash club called the Harvard Inn. It was a two-story building on Coney Island. Is that common for like a starting out gangster? Usually not. Well, I don't know. I guess most of them needed some kind of a place operations. I just it seems like he's a little bit more of a go-getter than some of the others. It's different, a lot, a lot different taking over a craps game or something or cards. It's a good combination of willing to fist fight, but being taught how to use it with a business sense. Because there's a whole lot of, you know, mobsters that are just goons punching people. But yeah, someone that has the sense to say, I'm just going to Americanize my name and buy a building. You know, they're, they're doing it a little bit smarter. What an entrepreneur. I mean, like you said, he's under uh, old Johnny Turo's tutelage, so he's probably got some business sense about him. He knows his shit. I mean, he's got to be smart. He did all these things, beating people up, but he only went down for one murder charge. 
got out and started running businesses. This guy's like Tom Brady of Boardwalk. Not long after opening the Harvard Inn, he married a lady named Maria. They'd go on to have two daughters. So for all his gangster stuff, he had the businesses and the family life too. So he wasn't like a consummate street guy. He had he had roots. Yes. Yeah, there's goons and there's the business side. He seems like he started goon and now he went business side. He would expand both his legal and illegal businesses. Criminally, he moved into black hand operations and started putting up brothels in the Coney Island area. Good old black hand operation. You know how much I love that. Uh, anybody that doesn't know, that's like that was the early 1900s version of what we just now call extortion. At the time, it was the racket yeah. came over from the old country where it just moved into, hey, give us protection money and we won't blow up your business. They used to send how they did in the old country. They'd send them letters of black hands or knives and stuff like that. It's just extortion before everything kind of settled in. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's the classic nice place you got here. Shame if something happened to it. Yep, I will break down that Ferris wheel. Oh, no. Only back in the day, they just gave him a card with a black hand on it. That was yeah. their shot. Legally, he opened up a funeral home across the street from his house. And then he started a brand of nickel cigars with his face on the box. And they were known as being really bad. They were like fall tasting and smelling. But he would force anybody that had a shop or a bar to sell them. Nice. Guaranteed demand for your supply. I just get in a vibe. I, I, I'm not trying to predict anything or make a comment, but if this guy opens a speakeasy in a funeral home, I am going to be so excited. <laughs> he would go on the rest of his life to uh, always file as an undertaker or anytime he had to list his occupation. He always listed himself uh, occupation as an undertaker. By 1917, the Five Points gang was slowly fading, and Frankie Yale brought on fellow five-pointer and Johnny Pro, uh, Johnny Torrio protege Al Capone, who worked for him as a bouncer and a bartender at the Harvard Inn. They say Frankie Yale was the guy that set him on the, the first hit that he did when Al Capone made his bones. They said he was collecting for Frankie Yale. Ooh. So a lot of people credit uh, Johnny Torrio for grooming Al Capone in Brooklyn, but in reality, he went to, he went to Chicago in 1909, you know, so he knew Capone. The phone was young. Uh, Frankie Gale was the one kind of brought him up. Now, mob legend will tell you that the Harvard Inn is where Al Capone got the infamous scars on the left side of his face. It was from disrespecting Frank Gallucci's sister. Frank retaliated by stabbing. Al was a lot bigger, and he stabbed him up in the face, and that's where Al Capone got the big scars on his face. Justified. Don't yeah. fuck with anybody's sister. <laughs> yes, all the scars. Yes. They say this is where Al Capone kind of learned a valuable mob lesson because they had to have a sit down and they were like, well, yeah, that sucks that their face is cut up, but he's a connected guy. You can't touch him. And honestly, you know, when Capone moves on and becomes a bigger gangster, when he came back to New York, he'd sometimes use uh, Gallucci as security. By late 1919, uh, early 1920, Al Capone needed to lay low because he had, he was wanted for two suspected murder cases and an assault case that later turned into a murder, murder charge. Frankie Yale sent him off to their mentor, Johnny Torrio, in Chicago. Oh, so that's the whole reason he made that move. So Johnny Torrio didn't call for him and send him to him. He just had a lot of heat, and Frankie Yale sent him there to lay low. The rest is history. Yeah, it's funny that, like, an uh, organized crime gangsters in my school standards, like, you must teach Al Capone, like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's great that we say that, but the way you just talked about him, the shit he did, you know, like I can't even teach that in my class, but it's like, he was a gangster, organized crime. You know, there's so much more and it was way more fucked up. Uh, so. It's strange that Al Capone went to Chicago to lay low and that's where he blew the fuck up. Yeah, so that is, oh, the irony, that's hilarious. Yeah, you're right. 
So uh, Prohibition hits early on. Frankie L becomes the most prolific bootlegger in Brooklyn. In the meantime, in Chicago, Johnny Torrio had bootlegging plans, but he was working under Big Jim Colosimo, and Big Jim didn't want to, he didn't want to get into bootlegging or distribution. So he was willing to sell liquor at his restaurants and his brothels, but he didn't want to move into production or distribution. So Frankie L is blowing up. Johnny Torrio wants to move into it, and, he, and Big Jim won't budge. Johnny Torrio decides to make a move, and he brings Frankie Yale in from Brooklyn. On May 11th, 1920, while waiting for a liquor shipment, Frankie Yale shot Big Jim Colosimo in the entrance to his restaurant. Frankie Yale was suspected in question, but never charged in the murder of Big Jim. And after the death, Johnny Torrio took over all operations on the south side of Chicago and appointed El Capone as number two. So Frankie, so Frankie Yale kind of like stepping stone kind of in Capone's life again. Yeah, he's the go-to guy in Brooklyn. This big gym in front of his restaurants was uh, Colosimo's restaurant. And it was, uh, it was supposed to be a great restaurant, you know, ambiance, all the best food. He would sell liquor there. He just didn't want to move into distribution. He had uh, just recently, he remarried like a young, you know, she was kind of like an aspiring Hollywood starlet. And he kind of was stepping away from the gangster life, kind of. But he still wanted to keep his gang in place, but he just wasn't, he didn't need a whole bunch of money. He was like, look, I'm pretty comfortable. I got this new young wife. I'm just want to chill. He didn't want the troubles he thought prohibition would bring. I get that, yes. And, and so we're so just for clarification, we've we've gone into the part in uh, Frankie Yale's life where prohibition is fully in swing. Yeah, prohibition started January seventeenth, nineteen twenty. He killed Big Jim on May eleventh. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Well, it sounded he wanted to get out, so they said, "Fuck it, we'll get you out, hard way out." Yeah, luckily, I bet I know exactly what funeral home they took him to too. <laughs> <laughs> Back in Brooklyn, criminal cracketeering across the board had escalated, well, Brooklyn and everywhere due to prohibition. There was just more money, increased revenue, so everybody was getting in the business. And Frankie Yale went to war with several factions over the control of the Brooklyn docks, but primarily an Irish extortion ring that called themselves the White Hand Gang. I thought it was the Black Hand was extortion. They're changing shit up on us now. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> the non-gangster guy in the podcast tonight, and you're changing hand colors. No, no, that's right. It's the black hand could go. You, it goes to Sicily. It goes to Naples. Anywhere you pop up a little Sicily in America at the time. The white hand gang was this one group of Irish guys on the Brooklyn docks that were just kind of basically thumb their noses at the Italian gangsters. So came out with that name basically. Out of hey, spite. Irish people used to spit on my grandfather. You know what I mean? That's just how it worked. The, the, new, the new kids in town got, got the shit end of the stick. That was for yeah. sure. Over years of territory beefs, uh, Frank Yale became a frequent target of attempted hits. So February 6, 1921, he got shot in a lung while exiting his vehicle. Both of his bodyguards were also hit. One died, the other one lived. And then there was a Manhattan mobster. His name was Ernest Melshuri. He went to the Harvard Inn one night and never came out. So his brother put a uh, hit on Frankie Yale. His younger brother, Angelo, another uh, bodyguard ended up getting shot, but Yale was safe. And eight days later, Ernesto's brother was also killed. Don't fuck with Frankie Yale. Yeah. That's what I'm here. <laughs> if you want to get mad because I kill your brother, then I guess I'll have to kill you too. But... Yeah. Sorry. Get over it. Okay. <laughs> July 9th, 1923, his driver, Frank Forte, was mistaken for Yale while driving. So one day, Yale didn't drive home. He had his driver drive his wife and kids home. And after they got out of the car, they shot up the car and killed his driver, Frankie Forte, thinking it was him. Ah, lucky break, I guess. All I'm hearing, though, is consistent revenue stream for his funeral business. Like, it's just <laughs> this, like constant, like, bodies at the door. Like, it seems like a double dip here. I think it's a... Uh, a missing people are missing the chance here mobsters you know he, he saw it 
I think innovation points for that. Look, bodies are going to be on the street. We might as well get in on that racket too. You can coffins are ain't cheap, you know. Italian families, the burial's got to be all specific. It's like a, it's a good, it's a good racket. In 1924, Johnny Torrio calls on Frankie Yale again. Uh, all diplomatic relations fell apart between Torrio's gang and Deano Banyan's Northside gang. At the funeral of Chicago Union Siciliano President Mike Merlot, uh, Frankie Yale made multiple visits to O'Banion's Showfield Flower Shop to arrange for giant flower arrangements pickups. Deano Banyan was a known florist. It was a known thing. Anytime there was gangster funerals, you didn't even have to order your stuff. You could just call O'Banion and just tell him a number. So you just call him and be like, uh, 5,000. And he just I love make it, it. I, I, I freaking love that. Like the florist to the mob. Like who, you never hear that. That's just funny. And this is like a well-known guy. Yeah, he was, uh, he was huge in Chicago. So you hear, you know, Bugs Moran, Al Capone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, uh, he's the guy that started Bugs Moran's gang. Okay, okay, okay. Well, and I just think that'd be a cool title, man. The florist. To florist the, to the, well, he kind of was to the point where if a gangster got killed, even if you were on the other side, you still got your flowers for him. Like, if you wouldn't, that was, like, disrespectful. Like, yeah, you had to. You had to go to the funeral. Most times, even yeah. if you freaking killed, fuck it. I'm like, fucking killed him. Like, you know, you were, like, sending somebody with flowers to the funeral. I bet he probably owned a funeral home, too. <laughs> Frankie L's got the Frankie L's got the funeral home. He's got the flower shop. Who do you know? Frankie L and the flower guy are just like working together to kill everybody and keep the businesses rolling in Chicago and New York. Frankie L goes to the flower shop to arrange for the pickup, but he was really kind of just scoping the place out. And on November 10th, 1924, when he was arriving to pay for the flowers, O'Banion, who's always known to be armed and dangerous, he greeted him, shook his hand. Frankie L shook his hand and held on to him while uh, Albert Anselmi and John Scalise, who was known as the Murder Twins, they were uh, Jenna Hitman in Chicago, shot O'Banion twice in the chest, twice in the throat, and then once in the back of the head when he was laying on the ground. Well, they didn't. Just, for, just, to, make, just to make sure. It makes perfect sense. So, so who did the flowers for that funeral? <laughs> <laughs> Showfield's flower shop stayed open. Jaime Weiss took over the business after O'Banion. Oh, man, I thought Frankie would get in on that, control the flowers, the <laughs> funeral home. He's got it all. Ah, probably get a casket manufacturing business. Yale stayed in town for O'Banion's funeral, and it was so extravagant that he told his friends and other gang members that uh, that was the kind of send-off he expected if anyone ever got to him. I love that. This guy I just killed, I better get what he got or I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You ever been to a funeral so great you tell everyone you want one just like it? Uh, this is my funeral. Oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry for your, the, the loss of your grandmother, but this floral arrangement is to die for and I must have it. Where did you get your casket? <laughs> I tell you right now that that arrangement right there, that arrangement, I like it. Eight days later, Frankie L was arrested in Chicago. He claimed that he was in town for Mike Merlot's funeral, and he had an alibi that checked out on the day of the murder. So no one was ever charged with the murder of Dion O'Banion. Got away with it, scot free. So not long after the Dion O'Banion hit, Johnny Torrio barely survives an attempt on his life, prompted him to retire and step down and hand off the entire Chicago criminal enterprise to Al Capone. Oh, okay. So. L considered Yale a reliable ally, and he would regularly use him as his chief whiskey supplier. Yale's deal was he would oversee shipments and ensure their safety through New York. Once it's out of New York, that's yours. You got, the, you got everything from there. In late December 1925, Al Capone was in New York with his family while his son was getting surgery. Al was out drinking late on Christmas night into the morning with Frankie Yale and several gang members at a place called Adonis Club. 
there they ran into the Irish white hand gang leader, a guy named Richard Pegleg Lonergan, and several of his guys. Did he have a peg leg? He did. I was going to say, he better. I mean, that's just bullshit. That's a big fucking letdown if he didn't have a peg leg. And honestly, he's not the only gangster I know that's got the peg leg nickname. Like, there's better gangsters with the nickname peg leg than there is pirates all day. Wow. The things you don't learn in history class. (laughs) Peg legs, better gangsters than pirates. You want to learn about peg legs, not pirates. Go to the mall. (laughs) Where do they stand on hook for hands, though? Giuseppe Morello, that wasn't exactly a hook, but. I think we got to give it to pirates then. Yeah. But I think pending further research, we'll give it to pirates for now, but I'm really interested to see uh, about, you know, Frankie Hook, Ioli. parking lot that. So they get into a, they all run into each other at the Adonis Club. Argument breaks out. It escalates into a shootout. And Longernan and two of his men were killed while a fourth man was wounded. It's now called the Adonis Club incident. And it basically ended the Irish white hand beefs in Brooklyn. It basically handled the Brooklyn doc, uh, the Brooklyn docks over to Frankie Yale. And it's weird. It didn't end in like a big uh, gang war or anything. It was just a, a drunken Christmas night shootout over an argument. Nice. The best kind. <laughs> Who hasn't had a drunken Christmas shootout? <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a real quick smoke break, refill our drinks, and we'll be back in a minute. Fresh beer. <laughs> piss. Probably have to take about seven more by the end of the episode now, but whatever. Right. The first ones, the once you open the first one, man, it's. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, the floodgates are open, but whatever. We'll figure it out. Once you pop the seal. Well, and we may be, uh, we just may be technical issue free and ready to go now. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we'll see. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Oh my God, I can't believe you said it. You're going to like kick, watch your screen shut down. No. <laughs> right. All right. So over the next couple of years, the relationship between Capone and Yale begins to sour. A lot of it had to do with opinions on leadership of the Union Siciliano. So Frank Yale was real popular in it. And Capone, it was important to because he was Neapolitan. He's from Naples. So that was his only way to control the Sicilian vote. Basically just kind of 
differences over political shit, basically. And then I also think in history, when it goes down, people call Frankie Yale the forgotten boss. And a lot of people don't talk about him, but he was big in Brooklyn at his time. And I think at some point you just think, start to think like, yeah, everybody talks about how big and bad he is. He's way over in Chicago. I'm in Brooklyn. What is he going to do? Yeah, 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 I get that. I've never heard of him. I, and I love that. But, you know, he sounds like he's there the whole time, you know, just like in it all. I mean, it sounds like he was there at the beginning, helped form what we know as the mob, took over businesses. He trained Al Capone. He was way deep in it. Yeah. Yeah, he's it's, got like all these connections and interactions with all these people. It's crazy. It's so weird that the mob makes its whole thing about trying to be less flashy, you know, less unknown. And it goes to show you because we only remember the real popular flashy ones like guys like him you never hear about. Sounds like Meanwhile, he, was, he sounds like a 50s lounge singer, you know, like every, you say Frankie, yeah, I'm like, oh, or Sherry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a crooner, right? He's yeah. definitely a crooner. You can go to this hipster spot and buy Frankie Yell on vinyl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Frankie Yell and the four funeral homes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't get off that. I think it's genius. <laughs> By 1927, Capone starts having issues with his trucks being hijacked without making it out of Brooklyn. Uh, Capone starts suspecting a double cross. Around the same time, Frankie Yell divorced Maria and then remarried a younger Italian lady named Lucida. Which is ironic because it kind of parallels Big Jim's story, like way at the oh, beginning. Oh yeah, are you foreshadowing something here? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second, so, mobsters can't. Mobsters never get to go down quietly. I know that's true. So Capone sends in a guy named uh, James Diamato, who ends up relaying back to Capone that it was Frankie Yale that was hijacking his liquor shipments. Five days after Capone got word from D'Amato that Frankie Yale was the one hijacking his truck, he was found shot to death on a Brooklyn street. So Who's the guy that uh, ratted Yale out, that guy was found dead? Yeah, James D'Amato. July 1st, 1928, uh, Frankie Yale gets a call that his wife needs help, and he jumps in his car to leave. While he's driving, a carload of gunmen pulls up and starts firing as he drives off. Now, he was driving a new Lincoln that had been installed with bulletproof panels, but not bulletproof windows. Mm. And uh, he got shot, like, in the back of the neck and his head with a shotgun and then crashed his car. He was shot with a Thompson. This is what's weird. The Thompson that killed Frankie Yale ended up being found in Fred Killer Burke's house. It was also used in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Yeah. But there was only three bullets. So that's not usually how you shoot a, a Thompson. You know what I mean? Yeah, There's not a whole lot of... Thompson yeah, killings with its three shots. I mean, it yeah, does because have they're, they're habitually, they jam, they miss. I think stormtroopers use Tommy guns, right? Like, <laughs> You're right, just spraying areas. Hit, they can't hit shit. Anyway, so you have to have, like, it's about uh, uh, quantity, not quality with the Thompson. They call it the spray and pray. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it's not a, if you're only, if you're going to semi-automatic shoot three shots, you're better to pick anything else than a Tommy gun. If you're not going to open it up, then what are you even doing with it? That's the whole so point. Just to be clear, did you kill Frankie Yale? Yes. So he was shot. Oh my God. Driving in his car. It's so crazy because you said it was bulletproof except for the windows. That's like the vehicular version of wearing a bulletproof vest and then what if you get shot in the head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he got shot in the back of the head. Man. You know, just to be clear, clarification point, that guy, that the rat that Frankie Yale had killed just about five seconds ago, 
Yes. I wonder who handled his funeral arrangements. <laughs> it just is too good to be true. But then now, oh my God, Frankie's dead. I just, I, I kind of figured I'm going down. I don't know. He's, he's kind of going down like uh, like Sonny in The Godfather. I don't know if we're allowed to make Godfather references or if that's too cliche on this show. I didn't think Frankie was going to go down that way. But I'm interested, was like Al Capone just paranoid or was Yale really robbing all the trucks and really doing all that shit? Or was that informant just lying? It seemed like Frankie started stealing his trucks. The late 20s and Prohibition, everything got a little wild and everybody that's a boss thinks they're the best boss. You know what I mean? And yeah, I wonder if some of that was old man dickheadedness. Like, man, I was this guy's first boss. I taught him how to be cool and now everyone talks about this guy like he's king shit. Like, I wonder if that played any into it. I, I think that always has to play into it a little bit. Yeah. The like big brother complex. Staff. Yeah. It's commonly thought that Frankie L was murdered by Fred Burke and the American Boys with help from outfit guys Tony Accardo and Louis Little New York. So a <laughs> uh, crazy thing is uh that Louis Campagne, Al Capone got real pissed at him because while he was in New York to do the Frankie Yale hit, he called his girl from his mom's house and the phone line was tapped and they had evidence that uh, little new york was in new york at the time of the frankie yale hit because he made a phone call to his girl from his uh, mom uh, women are always getting these guys in trouble aren't they one simple little fucking slip up and there you go frankie yale was buried in a twelve thousand dollar silver casket it needed hey, 20 frankie yale through the frankie yale funeral home <laughs> They needed 28 cars to carry his floral arrangements and 250 limousines to carry the mourners. These fucking mobsters in their floral arrangements. I love it. Like, it's just like... Old get all that? I don't think so. Oh, is this, is this him dead? Oh, that's yeah. his car. So this is the Frankie Yale hit. I forgot I had this picture. So now he wasn't out of the car like that. That was after reporters got the pictures after police had pulled him out. Oh, uh, so that's him on the ground. Yes. So he was found dead in the car. And then by the time reporters made him, he was uh, out on the street. Man, to take that picture, it was like a giant camera, had to hold it, had to set up the stand. The flash was literally like a burning, you know, <laughs> like. Um, so those people in the doorway had to be posing like that for a minute? Well, no, that, actually, you know what? That might not even been, that was probably in the daylight, I assume. They probably didn't, flash photography, yeah, it's around. It's pretty. It's getting bigger by then. So well, it's but, yeah, getting no. bigger. It's it's still not what it is today. But yeah, no, but I mean, it, like flash photography kind of like showed up and like changed everything. You can take pictures in the dark. Holy shit, you know. But I I don't. You guys ever watch I Love Lucy? I Love Lucy. Yeah, I know. Not very good for the bad guys podcast. Yes. Yeah. I but, mean, okay. I'm... We know I love Lucy. Literally, all I can see right now when I see the houses in the back of that is the front of Lucy's house. Like when they <laughs> actually in the later episode when they're in college. And I just picture, oh, Ricky, Frankie's dead, you know? <laughs> Lucy, you got some Spanning to do. You know? It really, though, for a big car wreck and the dead body laying there, it really seems like a calm scene. Like there's yeah, no it does. Like, there's just some guys like, standing in there. There's not a crowd. There's nothing. They're wondering who's going to come fix that stoop. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You going to fix this? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So here's uh. I love the, the reality when you're sitting here doing it all. Like, I still don't know what Frankie uh, looks like. And that is so fun. Like, you know, when I'm listening on the show, I just look it up. 
You know what right. I mean? Like, as soon but as you do you not know what he looks like the whole time? Is this his funeral? Yeah. I was like, Princess Di didn't even get this <laughs> shit. Like, what the hell? Well, so, as soon as he saw O'Banion's funeral, he was hooked. From then on, he was always playing. Yeah. Well, hell yeah. I mean, you said, what, 28 cars to carry all the flowers? That's yeah, 28, car, 28 cars to carry the flowers, then 250 to carry the people. That's crazy. Man. And one for him. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have that picture. I couldn't find a good copy of it. But yeah, there was a whole big, like a raised uh, truck with a casket was on. So everybody on the street could see that $15,000 casket. Yeah. Well, if you're going to spend that on a casket, you're going to show that motherfucker off. I'm going to be straight with you. I probably wouldn't have even gone car. You know, I would have gone like, you know what? I'm going to have cars carry the flowers, cars carry the people. My $15,000 casket or whatever will be carried by like horse drawn fucking carriage. <laughs> like, you know, like, I would have went Pope Mobile. I would have went into a glass cage. It would just be my body sitting there and everyone could just see it through the glass. Man. So few gangster funerals have ever matched a Frankie L funeral because he decided to stay in town for Dion O'Banion's. He's like, you know what? I'll hang out here for a little bit. Oh, yeah. This is how I want it done for sure. Yeah. Are those all people? In the bottom uh, right picture? In the bottom right, yes. Oh, my God. That looks like the, like, uh, literally, like, that looks like the Queen's fucking coronation. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's wild because you kept on bringing it back to the funeral home of him, like, how that's such a good business. But looking at this, it really seemed like he just had a passion for funerals. Like, he didn't even do it for the money. It was just I, the love. I, 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 I get you, Dan. Like, I almost want to see, like, what was the typical Frankie Yale funeral looking like? You know, like, did he put, was it a spectacle? You know, like, I bet it was. Like, personally I mean, touching everything. Poor, poor like, fucking Locke locks in here like, what the hell? I did not think we were talking about funeral homes. <laughs> oh my God. No, when no. there's 28 cars to carry just flowers, that's a conversation. That's crazy. Well, I, so what I'm picturing, Frankie, you know, like, so you take your stereotypical uh, wedding planner, and he was that, but for funerals? It's just something he had a passion for. So he's a stone-cold gangster that'll I, beat the piss out of his own little brother. But when it comes to funerals, he just, he's like, look, here's the flowers we need. I feel like there's a great fucking satirical show in the making there. Like Frankie Yale, the mobster, funeral director, the undertaker, you know, like, but it's like, he's got these glam funerals. and <laughs> it, Yeah, he's like, uh, he's like uh, Martin Sheen. Is it, yeah, no, yeah. not Martin Sheen, uh, Martin Short in uh, Father of the Bride. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, word. <laughs> But it's Frankie Yale. I love See, it. See, I'm going to mix it with something else to say. It's like a I Love Lucy style show, this little funeral home. And it's yeah, basically. Like, like the, imagine like a mob show, but it's actually about the funeral home. And he's like, <laughs> oh my God, I got to get a, I got to get my flower prices down. You know what? Let's go kill uh, a banyan or whatever. <laughs> we'll take over his floral business. Finally, I can get the flowers I want. I'm sick of getting tulips for my funerals. <laughs> it's e it's easier with an established name. You know what I mean? You take that established name. You don't want to try and build that from the ground up. See, we here we just go. came up with a million-dollar idea TV show here. You know? Six Feet Under meets Sopranos. Right there. HBO, get on it. Uh, florist to the mobsters. Or undertaker to the mobsters. So that's the story of Frankie Yale. So say goodnight to the bad guy. Go on. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. I love it. So now you guys haven't seen a picture yet. Now, say we were to cast a movie, 
starring Frankie Yale. Before I show you guys a picture, who do you think you would cast to play him? Well, it depends. Are we going the satire way we just talked about, or are we like legit gangster? That's your call, man. That's your call. I would say satire-wise, satire-wise, I would go with uh, William H. Macy, probably. Oh, that's fantastic for a satire. Yes. Like semi-serious, semi-not. Like, oh, yes. I'm seeing like Frank from Shameless all over the place, right? That's him. Passionate funeral director, hesitant gangster. But yes. for a uh, for realistic take, I'm thinking someone that's kind of big, you know, chubby, not fat, but uh, just someone who could be intimidating because that definitely was who he was but also sort of a charming business guy, someone who would take Al Capone under his wing, someone like that. Like, uh, I can't really think of no one, but that's the way I'm going. Like Val Kilmer, like fat Val Kilmer, like not skinny Val Kilmer, <laughs> but fat Val Kilmer. And Val Kilmer can do any part. If you've ever watched The Saint, he can do any character, you know? I've heard he was good in The Saint. I haven't seen it, but... Uh. It's, he plays like 15 different characters in that. And you know, you know, my favorite thing about that is he has this phone that can send messages and it's the biggest tech of the day, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, oh, that's, like, some, that's some deep web spy shit. Yes. So I'm going to give my definitive answer for, satire, for, for a serious Frankie Yale, fat Val Kilmer. For a satirical Frankie Yale, Skinny Val Kilmer. <laughs> <laughs> so here's pictures of Frankie Yale. So this I is young Frankie, Frankie Yale and older Frankie Yale. Man, that's my Uncle Ronnie. Like, <laughs> I don't even, like old Frankie Yale is my Uncle Ronnie. Uh, uh, shit. Um, they call him Cuddy, too. It's close, like, Cuddy, Chubby. I don't know. It fits. All right. I don't know why they call him chubby, not fat. That motherfucker's neck is oozing out well, of the. Only when he's old. Everybody gets fat when they're old. I mean, you know, right. young, young Frankie. I think, I think right. Uh, yeah, Frankie L on the right was chubby. I mean, yeah, he got older. You know, he was living the high life and so. But you get, you know, oh, fat, thick neck. Historically speaking, when you you don't have fat on you, that means you're not poor. You know, you you don't give a yeah. shit. You don't have, you got people driving you. People ride your fucking bike for you. You know, <laughs> let's go to bike ride, ride my bike. That's a lie. That never he, happened. He, uh, he does have enough money. He could invest in a collar extender. He's got like a swag to him. I don't know. Like I look at young, you almost need like young Frankie uh, Yale and old Frankie Yale, two different people. Or you know what? Young Frankie Yoke could be skinny Val Kilmer. Old Frankie Yoke. <laughs> We're going to go real method. He's going to have to actually lose the weight again and gain it back. You yes. know what's super cliche, but it's also sad because he's dead. But James Gandolfini, I think, could play this character just from the story that you told and everything. Hold I on. James Who's James Gandolfini? Hit me the – what's that character? Tony, Tony Soprano. Oh, Yeah. But he's yeah. been so good in so many other things too. But you know what? Like, uh, what's his, is it? Polly from The Sopranos? Yeah, Tony Sirico. He could. He could be. I don't know. Yeah. He's I think, like uh, so stereotypical gangster. Oh my god! <laughs> you could get like uh, Rudy. Who's the guy? Sean Astin. Sean Astin. Yeah. So like, see, young him. Like that's like you know Rudy when he still had the chubby face, and then over here is like Stranger Things. 
just off perfect guy, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. I think he would be good. Oh, Vincent D'Onofrio, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so now we have to do the DEFCON scale. So standard DEFCON scale is five to one, five being the lowest, one being the highest. But on the Bad Guy podcast, nobody's a good guy. So five would be Lee Murray, who's your crack dealing, kidnapping, bank robber. And number one would be the Purple Gang, who's got multiple massacres, multiple gang wars, and they're killing people on the streets. So on a scale of Lee Murray to the Purple Gang, where would you rate Frankie Yale? I wouldn't even say Frankie Yale in terms of massacres and stuff is Alcapone. I'm going to put him right in the middle at a DEFCON 3. Uh, you know, maybe I'm a, maybe being a little timid here. But, you know, he's not known for these big massacres. He did his killings. I respect him for the funeral business. I respect him for, you know, always being kind of ahead of the game. He wasn't like, uh, he was never just like a run-of-the-mill thug. He was always trying, he was always like looking 10 steps ahead. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say the same thing. With a lot of these mobsters, I tend to go with the three, just because a lot of them are run-of-the-mill. They got enough kills. Wasn't violent enough to get them one or two spots, but uh, he definitely was a goon in his skinny year. So See, yeah, I gotta I gotta go back to something Locke said earlier, which was he kind of drew a parallel between uh, who was the guy Frankie Yo killed at the uh, uh, Big Jim Colosimo. Big yeah, so you drew that parallel early on. I might be stealing your thunder here, so I, I don't mean to if I do, but like I think that towards the end of his life, Yale was kind of like. I, I I don't know if he was softening, but like, I don't know. Because I, I guess he was stealing that, from Capone. Well, you just get, you know, you get a little happy, you get some money. Duking it out on the street every day is a tough line of work. It's yeah. easy to get soft. Well, I mean, technically, what he got killed for was stealing. He was from ripping. Al Capone, of all people. Yeah. Yeah, ripping off the liquor shipments and shit. So he wasn't necessarily trying to get into the sunset, he was being a dick. <laughs> maybe Yale just wanted to have his funeral. He's like, I got this big flight. I got this floral arrangement people are going to die for. I just kill me now. What do you think, Locke? Okay, so to me, a typical mob boss is usually around a three because they put up some bodies to get where they are. But at some point, the difference between the bosses and the, the, the hitmen, at some point they try and they make business decisions over murder decisions where some guys are basically just sociopaths that get made. See, now, this is the problem I run into on my show all the time. How much credit does, like, Frankie Yale would be, like, a great on my show. Mm -hmm. How much credit does he deserve for the shit other people did? You know, like, he, yeah. he might not have done the shit, but he's calling some shit. You know what I mean? Like, So then who's a better quarterback? Got John Elway is just running with the ball and helicopter spinning into the goal line, and Peyton Manning, who just makes a seventh-round draft pick left tackle, look like a fucking all-pro. Some guys make people look better. And some people just run with the ball. He probably wasn't a run with the ball guy, but if you make everybody around you better. You are very lucky I understood that sports analogy. <laughs> uh, I happen to know both the people you picked out. Uh, so, like you and four other people will say, yeah, that's a good analogy. Everybody yeah. else is going to be like, what the fuck is he talking about? So, yeah, I would have to go with a three. Like, I'd say he was virgin on a two, basic, only because of some of the, the caliber of people. Like, when you start getting into doing hits with big-name guys, that's kind of a big deal. But I, th I don't think he was a, a killer just to kill. I think he killed to move up when he had to. You know what I mean? He was strategic. Yeah, he's a smart guy, for sure. He wasn't I playing mean, checkers. He was playing chess. 
All right. We're kind of unanimous at a three, actually, then, right? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Zach, this is Crystal Palace. Sink Norad has declared DEFCON 3. Scramble all alert aircraft. I repeat, scramble all alert aircraft. Before we go, Zach, thanks for coming on the show. Now you can check out his podcast. It's Drinks with Great Minds and History. At first, I thought, like, it's what we're doing here, but the guys aren't as bad. But, I mean, sometimes, actually, if you think of a Brooklyn gangster that killed, like, three per people versus, you know, someone that had enslaved an indigenous people. Oh, know, my people, and yeah, In a lot of ways, weird. they're kind of way worse. Yeah, they're way <laughs> worse, but in a different level. You, you, your guys control Brooklyn. My guys control all of the 13 colonies, and they're all pieces of shit. <laughs> so the answer is everybody at the top is always a little bit of a piece of shit because they have to be. But yeah, hey, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad, I, Frankie Yale, I, you know, he's fun. To, I'm glad you picked somebody I got to learn about. Um, the, the, guy, the guys you cover call the guys I cover when they need someone to protect the docks. For sure. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I cover Woodrow Wilson. Your guys protect the dogs. But it's right. fun that way. So thank you for having me on. I, uh, you know, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for letting me plug my show, Drinks with Great Minds in History. I, I, I appreciate that too. So, you know, it's just What's a, like your Instagram? Uh, it's DGMH underscore history podcast. And then uh, you can just look me up on Facebook too by the, the title of the show. All right. Well, this is Say Hello to the Bad Guy. Thanks for coming and thanks for listening. To the bad guy, bad guy. the good guy coming last place. Last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. Oh. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. be dad spent my birthdays in the trap we had to work with what we had she been working on a raise while trying to raise me like a man plus my daddy in the box and all my cousins in the cam man. and i don't need a hundred friends i just want a hundred bands a hundred jugs a hundred scams hey hey so i don't money grab the hundred hams so I don't money grabbed a bunch of And bands. I ain't wanna fall victim to that system or the pistols. Fuck a judge with a grudge. I'm blowing crud for my mental life. Ay. And I still keep it on me. Run into your big homie. First you meet your dead homie. Ay. Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Last place. You smell that dope when I pass by. Pass by. I like my money at a fast pace. Good guy coming last place. Smell the dope when I pass by.